all the illustrious women of this world, Joanna, radiant rose among thorns, enfolded us, the whole Roman church and her subjects, in an amazingly sweet scent. She passed on from the misery of this world to the beautitude of God's kingdom, where she lives and reigns, and where, despising and mocking her adversaries, she recovers the scepter that had been taken from her and receives her crown among the saint martyrs. A quote from Pope Clement VII. Dang, who knew a pope could be so complimentary? He's like the only one that complimented her after she died. Yeah. Not a bad one to have in your corner. True, but she's also part of the, he's also like part of the reason why she died. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Well, not, not directly, but. As soon as it moved to Rome, it was bad news bears for her. Yeah. Rome was kind of like where everything just kind of hit the fan. Kind of has been throughout history. Saw a fun fact uh, that popped up on, because obviously we do the podcast that you're listening to. Um, The uh, Emperor Commodus, like the bad guy in the movie Gladiator. Yeah. He had a stable of 200 sex slaves. So Rome, not great. Nice. (laughs) It is not great. Wow. It's no fun. I shouldn't be laughing. I don't know why I shouldn't laugh. At least it was a nice even number. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Everyone everyone had too much. Yeah. He, he That's got, it. He got yeah. to like 186. He's just like, just round it up. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone has a buddy. <laughs> and with that, welcome to the Gems of History podcast, everybody. I am Jacob Shop, your host, along with Evan Roosh. And today, to help us celebrate our month of coverage of famous women throughout history, we have one of our favorite women, Alex. Oh, that was favorite. so sweet. And I'm, am I famous too? To us, you are. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Once you hop on the pod, you're automatically yes. famous. This is my third time. I think so, yeah. So one could say I'm the I'm the most famous girl on your podcast. Uh, you what definitely are, yes. yeah. Well, <laughs> of this podcast, you definitely are the most famous. One girl. of two that we've had on. Love it. Other than Zuki, because he's kind of like the girl of the yeah. podcast. Yeah. But Well, I was gonna ask you guys, what is your like demographic? Like, do you guys know your demographics of like female listeners? I haven't looked in a while, but I can. I believe it's a lot of dudes. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely more dudes than women. But <laughs> well, I love it. I love we're educating men for this series. Right. You know what I mean? Yes, that's the whole purpose. Yeah. See, we just <laughs> snuck that in there. Right, yeah. <laughs> and we're actually going to read some questions from our listeners for Alex today. First up, oh. women, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you had an actual... <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, we sent out a questionnaire. (laughs) Everyone heard you were coming back, and they're just like, "Oh, we have questions." (laughs) So I'll just refer to like the one because I was gonna like, "Oh, hey, ladies, watch out for you know men," because we'll find in this story that men stink sometimes. But now I'll just say, "Hey, lady out there, (laughs) (laughs) single female listener, (laughs) that's not Alex." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh man! But we are glad to have Alex on with us today. It's gonna be a fun episode. I told evan before we started recording that i didn't plan on this being as in depth of a notes taking thing as it ended up being i ended up reading an entire book on this topic it's the book is called the lady queen by a woman named nancy goldstone and our topic today is queen joanna the first of naples it's a it is a wild ride let me tell you 
Right. I mean, she kind of, well, she is in the same family as Eleanor of Aquitaine, which we'll get to a little bit. So that family and they're strong women. Dang. Yeah. (laughs) And I also told Evan before we started recording that I don't know how this woman lived as long as she did. There's absolutely no reason that her life should have lasted as long as it did because of everything that she went through. And she lived during the Black Plague, which is like everyone was dying. So the fact that she not only lived during it, but was traveling around Europe during it and somehow survived is insane. But we'll get into all that as we go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very excited for this one. We're also the Gems of History podcast. I said that. Oh, yeah. Said, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we just straight up forget to introduce you know, the show. So we're here. <laughs> they, they clicked on it. Yeah. They, said, right. they, they get it. <laughs> so Joanna was born at the perfect time to eventually grow up in the most stressful time imaginable for a queen of medieval Europe. Uh, Not only were there multiple brewing civil wars to attend to, but the prosperity and extravagance which her kingdom of Naples was accustomed to was about to come under attack. Because, you see, back in the early 1300s when Joanna was born, Europe was a conglomerate of individual, they called them fiefdoms, or little duchies, or little individual kind of smaller kingdoms within a kingdom kind of thing. Each duchy had its own dukes and duchesses who all had their own laws and ruling strategies. And then on top of them were the kings, such as the King of France or the Holy Roman Emperor. And alongside those kings was the church, namely the Pope, who oversaw and legitimized the rule of almost everybody in the realm. So there's a very strict and very outlined power structure in Europe at this time. But the papal situation was very unique. For the time, especially for Naples, because the court that was usually in Rome for the papal court had moved into French territory, into a city known as Avignon, and out of Italy. So, this dynamic in a power structure, there was a almost constant struggle for power between prominent families in their respective areas. And nowhere was this seemingly more true than in Naples, which was one of the largest and most prestigious independent entities in Italy at the time. There were just an unbelievable amount of ruling families during yeah. this time. Again, not to compare it real life to Game of Thrones again, but everyone like had their own little kingdom, had their own set of laws, and it feels like the common people kind of got caught yeah. up in all of it because like, who do I listen to, this duke or the pope who's right. supposed to be this appointed messenger of God? Yeah, and it seems like, you know, and we'll see throughout the story is that the people who understand the the structure really make out the best because it seems like the families that coincided with the Pope at the time lucked out the most. Oh, you know what I mean? 100%. So like, oh, my man, the Pope, don't question me because he will do whatever I say. Or he told me I could do this. Uh-uh. You suck. My I rule. So yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. This whole story has an undercurrent of if you can be friends with the Pope, things will go better for you. Right. <laughs> so Naples at the time of Joanna's birth was one of only four cities in Europe that had a population of 100,000 or more, with the others being Paris, Venice, and Milan. But Naples had something that the other cities in Italy didn't. The fact that it was the only kingdom in Italy. 
All the other provinces and duchies were ruled by councils or noble families, but they weren't royalty. But as with other kingdoms, Naples heeded to the Pope on many of its decisions, and this put them in league with a group known as the Guelphs. And the Guelphs are a sort of a political party that fought for local control of major cities and towns in Italy in support of the church. And as with support of the church, there is always opposition to that. And they were known as the Ghibellines, which was a group that supported the rule of the Holy Roman Emperor over that of the Pope. So the papal supporters were stronger in the south and empire supporters in the north, but the Guelphs needed backing from someone who could rival the Holy Roman Empire if they needed them, and that was where Naples came in. So they're already being caught up before Joanna is even born in fighting between the church and the state, pretty much. I have a question. Yeah. Raising my hand for the people who can't see. Yes, Alex. Um, at the, just to like make myself more aware of what's going on like in the history as we're going through it. Because most of like my knowledge of this medieval time is like, I just think of like Britain. Sure. So does the Roman, or I guess not Roman, but like the, the Pope also has control of like the king of Britain too, right? At the time? Pretty much any king anyway. has to submit to the Pope before cool. they make major decisions. Sure. Right? If like, they consider themselves like a Christian kingdom, then the Pope has final say. Yeah. And the only case that that's not as true is the Holy Roman Empire because they kind of dictated themselves and the Pope sure. kind of left them alone. But okay. like every other king for like marriage requests and like war requests or requests for aid. They all went through the Pope pretty yeah. much. And it also seemed almost like the courts, like justice. Too. Yeah. Interesting. The, yep. The, the, as we'll see later in the story, the papal courts kind of take on major cases in the kingdoms. So, yeah, they, they're kind of responsible for a lot. Sure. Which, that is just crazy when you think about it, that in the matter of just a few hundred years, like this Christian, or yeah, this Christian religion, which was very much persecuted then now has the final say over all these different kingdoms, duchies, and yeah. Yeah. basically all of the entire continent. And it's all like, it's always like 60-year-old men. Right. It's right. like, <laughs> why are you giving these old guys all the say here? Yeah. Huh, and if only we didn't do that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> and this is like like late, late 1200s, yeah, so, early 1300s. Mm-hmm. So how, like Jesus was born, died, and then only what, a thousand years? No. I don't know, years. Right. Like you guys would know better than me. <laughs> like however many years later, like it's really taken over. Yeah. And this is also the time period where there's a lot of religious persecution from the Christians on other people. Obviously, the Crusades right. has, had happened already. Yeah, that but came full circle. There's also yeah. a lot of like anti-Semitism that is born mm. around this time period. So there's a, a lot of strife everywhere sure. at this period okay. in time. So when Naples was conquered in the mid-1200s, the man who was in charge, named Charles of Anjou, made a deal with the Pope to pay a certain amount of money and a white horse every three years in order to maintain rule of the realm, and it also gave him permission to pass that royal rule to his heirs as long as they kept up this agreement and kept paying the Pope. So this, everyone in Italy knew which meant that the Pope and the Kingdom of Naples had more of a partnership than anything. And that made Naples very unique at the time because they were a kingdom only because the papal courts said they were. Sure. I mean, they had royal blood, sure, 
but the fact that they were able to maintain this control and not be absorbed by like the king of france or right. the or like the pope themselves yeah. it's it was very interesting what are they doing with all those white horses i don't know that's a lot yeah. <laughs> it was a very it's so funny because it's like a big sum of money and one white horse well every three years so like there's just a horde of white horses right. somewhere I mean, they've got to have at least like four on hand at any yeah. given time, unless they're just dying off. <laughs> that just seems like maybe someone like the Pope threw that in just so we get even more of a deal. He's like, wow, all this money. You know what? I can get a little You know bit what this more. is? This is, the, this is the prototype version of his limo that he drives around in everywhere he goes. <laughs> this, that's what this is. Yep. It started as Assembly of White Horses, and now it's that silly little car. Yep. <laughs> But with this papal agreement between Naples and the Pope, this meant that the Guelphs could look to Naples for help against the Ghibellines when fighting broke out. So Robert the Wise, who was king at the time of this agreement, sent his son Charles to aid the Guelphs. Charles was 28 at the time. He had recently lost his first wife, the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. And I don't know how that arrangement happened and nothing came of it, but he should have been a very big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and had two years prior to his venture out of Naples, married his second wife named Marie of Valois. I, I don't know how to pronounce this. It's spelled Valois, but I'm pretty sure it's Valois. I would absolutely yeah. love to help you out in this uh, area, but mm -hmm. the last two years of this podcast show that I can't pronounce <laughs> yeah. even my name sometimes. But she was part of the French royal family, so ah, that's all. Yeah. Really We're yeah. probably the most German people. Oh, yeah. Honestly, ever yeah, tried looking to start. around. <laughs> <laughs> There's one German in this story that's important. So. Perfect. We'll get that one really right. Yeah, we'll so. nail that one. It's like Gutenberg or something. <laughs> So Charles and his wife rode into Florence together on July 30th, 1326, and set up to defend that province in the name of the Kingdom of Naples and thus the Pope. And shortly after arriving, or perhaps on the way to Florence, it's not exactly known, is when Joanna was born. She was born the second child She was born the second child of Charles and Marie, and she was a very welcome gift to the family. And as Evan mentioned earlier, she was the great, 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 great granddaughter of Eleanor of Aquitaine, who we covered a couple episodes ago. So she is part of the Angevin line of succession. And we talk a lot about that kingdom and everything back in that episode, if you want to go back and listen, if you haven't already. But while in Florence, Marie also gave birth to a boy named Charles Martel, who died eight days after being born. This kind of coupled with the fact that Charles and Marie had a daughter before Joanna that had died a year earlier, it kind of dampened the mood a little bit, but they still had Joanna. And on the return trip from Florence to Naples, two years later, Joanna was around two and Marie was expecting another child who would be born the next year and grow up to be Joanna's younger sister, Maria. So now they have two healthy baby girls. Which is so shocking because, I mean... I mean, she could have been born, you said, on the road. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, for how much, I mean, like Marshall's mom is a um, OB nurse. And she mm. tells me like all these things that go into like having a baby. And I'm like, just thinking of, oh, pull over. Yeah. <laughs> pull over our non-white <laughs> horses in, in this case. Yes. And then like the dirtiest of roads. They haven't 
probably have never showered in their lifetime. And they're on a war path. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> this isn't just like any vacation. Right. I don't know if they have like midwives at this point, but I right. can't yeah, imagine there's a lot of sterilization happening. No. It's just like someone rolling up their sleeves like, all right, I guess we're doing this. Right. I mean, this time period was better for medical advancement than other, like, where Eleanor right. was alive, but right. still, like, the infant mortality rate was shockingly high. Right. So Yeah. So the reason for Charles and Marie being called back to Naples was because the Holy Roman Emperor marched into Rome, crowned himself king, and then announced his own pope. So King Robert called his son back to help him settle things in Naples. I always do love these types of stories where it's like, I see someone isn't sitting on this chair. It's yeah. just like the throne. But there was someone sitting on that chair. Oh, well, guy. he told him to scoot over. But the fact that the papacy was in Avignon now meant that there was nobody really in Rome. So he's just like, I'm going to go there, crown myself king because the Pope won't do it, and right. then take this power. Uh, the Middle well, Ages. And what, what's interesting, though, is that what I have to think about too, it's, we, there's no technology. There's to get the message out is maybe a pigeon that gets there. <laughs> right. So he could have been sitting on that throne for a month. Yeah. And then it finally got word to Robert the Wise and like then had to call his son who was where? Like in Florence. In, in Florence <laughs> to then come back. Right. All of this, I'm sure, spans like months. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it took two years. So that whole two years, this guy could have just been like in Rome hanging out. And then right. finally, Charles got the message to come back. It's like they finally get to their destination and then get this message like, come on. Yeah. yeah. So a rebellion eventually chased out the Holy Roman Emperor and his pope was imprisoned. So it didn't really matter in the end. But around this time, tragedy struck and Joanna's father died. Do either of you want to guess how? If you say dysentery. Nope. I feel like I remember this. Oh, can you just remind me? So it's not related to fighting at all. Uh, Charles, the Duke of Calabria, died of a fever after overexerting himself in a sporting bout of falconry. What is... Falconry again? <laughs> yeah, it was, ha- it was what? Hawking? Oh, it was hawking. Last, last time, <laughs> now it's falconry. They love their hunting birds. They really do. Wait, but... What? Yeah, so he just overexerted. Well, he just got back, and then like after he got back, I guess he just overexerted himself. The trip probably wore him out. Just got sick and died. I mean, I guess I climb the stairs sometimes. Right. I'm really winded. <laughs> so, wouldn't the falcon do most of the work in said sport? I don't know how falconry works. <laughs> so hey, don't, don't ask me. Let's perform an autopsy of this. However, year old. I mean, there's <laughs> however many years there ago was this? so many different things going around that could kill you. There's like an illness in England called like the English sweat that just killed you and right. no one really knows what it was. So there's just a bunch of shit that could kill you. But not, a, not long after he was laid to rest, Marie also died and left the five-year-old Joanna and the three-year-old Maria in the care of their grandfather, Robert the Wise. Nope, two people would have as much of an impact on Joanna as Robert and his wife, Sansia. Despite the fact that both her parents and one of her siblings had already died on her in the short time she was alive, Robert was a wonderful figure in her life to teach and prepare Joanna for the royal courts of Naples. Now, Robert, as we've said, was known as the wise, not, but it wasn't because of his ability to make good judgments but because he could compose and deliver hundreds of sermons in Latin. Nice. Memorized words, all right. Shout out so Rob, our wise. guy Bob. Well, and from what I read, too, is that it, it happened to be a great time in Naples yeah. because there was great crops. Great crops equals it makes you look good, yep. right? So 
mm-hmm. from what I understand too, it's like, well, he kind of got he lucked an, out. an easy ride. Yeah, he lucked out in his reign for sure. Right. I believe there's, I forget the actual formal word for it, but like right before the Black Death came was actually across Europe, a yeah. huge like increase in temperature. Yeah. It was the, it's called like the medieval optimum. Per- yes. yes. So, Thank you. Yes. Yeah. It was just like a time of great weather for everyone. And then after that came the little ice age, which is really right. bad. Right. Everyone's like, wow, things are going just fine. Yeah. Record scratch. Yeah. Then a flea comes. <laughs> right. So reports from others who knew Robert the Wise claim that he actually preferred to throw stones as a child instead of study, and one of them even called him a dullard. <laughs> However, Robert learned to read and developed an affinity for sermons and Latin in prison when his father sent him and two of his brothers to spend seven years in prison in his place. Now that's the most medieval thing I think <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail, take three of my sons. Yeah, take these boys here. So after his time in prison, Robert was then married off to a woman he wasn't supposed to marry because his brother refused. Uh, His brother had become celibate and couldn't even eat in the presence of a woman. And then Robert was crowned Prince of Naples because his oldest brother died and his seven-year-old nephew was decided to be too young to rule, even though he was technically the rightful heir, which would come back to bite not only Robert, but Joanna. The one guy that went celibate, he was down bad. Oh, like he's the one that taught Robert to read and stuff in prison. Yeah. But he was part of the this Franciscan order of monks, like this really, Women really haters. strict like monk order. And yeah, he like wouldn't wear shoes. He would lay on the bare floor. Yeah, he was kind of just a weird guy. But he, yeah, he wouldn't eat in the presence of women because he was so devout. Oh, not that he didn't like women. He just respected them too much. I'm going to respect you too much. Get out of my presence. I I think he might have just liked men too much. Ooh. But I don't know. Seven years in prison then. Not bad. Yeah, right. (laughs) With his brothers. Yeah. Never mind. No, my Take everything back. My favorite historical like thing is like, oh, they were just really good friends. (laughs) (laughs) Who shared a bed? It never was. That's never how it was. (laughs) History, like historians are just like, man, friendship at its purest. It's like, well... (laughs) Actually. Could you imagine having such a good friend that you share a bed with every night? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a plate of spaghetti like yeah. the lady, lady in the tramp. <laughs> so Sancia, on the other hand, was Robert's second wife. His first wife, Violante, had died after five years of marriage, but not before giving birth to Joanna's father, Charles. And when Violante died, Robert was arranged to be married to Sancia as a politically motivated move because the kings of Naples are fucking obsessed with trying to take over Sicily. <laughs> it's going to come up so much in this story that they try <laughs> to take Sicily. I mean, probably great land. Probably great land. I mean, technically, they were crowned emperor or king of Sicily, was what a lot of people at the time called them, but they never owned Sicily. So <laughs> it's just a constant struggle with, for them. And they incur, they incur so much debt on their kingdom because they try to take Sicily so much. Well, honestly, throughout history, everyone tries to conquer Sicily. And they never did it. The, which formed the Sicilian mob. And then that Sicily we know today. gave them the plague. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after the marriage, Robert and Sancia moved to king and queen when Charles the Lame, Robert's father, died. However, Sancia was extremely devoted to a different strict religious order called the Spiritual Franciscans and never had any children with Robert. Instead, she provided education for Joanna and Maria. 
and despite her attempts at forming Joanna into a religious zealot like herself, Joanna was influenced more by the royal courts than anything else. And since the courts were affairs that included extended family, Joanna got to see her aunt Catherine quite a bit. And Aunt Catherine seems like the fun aunt. (laughs) She was the empress of Constantinople somehow, despite living in France, mostly because her father had married the old empress and the old empress died. (laughs) And according to reports, Catherine was highly intelligent and ambitious and loved to dress royally and live luxuriously, as well as sleep around a lot after her husband died. (laughs) Oh... So this gave Joanna not only exposure to the extremely religious and devout lifestyle of her grandparents, but also to the worldly lifestyle of the courts. And in addition, Joanna had one other person who would have a large impact on her during her childhood, a former wet nurse for Robert's first wife. This story is honestly insane to me. It's very interesting. We're kind of starting to see her motivations, or excuse me, not her motivations, but the different people that like are kind of pulling her in the different directions right like the very religious side of things and then also like the earthly like courtly side of things it is it's literally her entire life is going to be a a constant struggle between satisfying her kingdom and satisfying the pope and Mm -hmm. that starts right now because she's got her grandparents who are basically the pope in this situation and then she's got her aunts and other family members who are the kingdom so she's already learning at the age of like six that she's going to have to try and balance these two out. Which is a lot of pressure. Like, you think about coming up and, like, growing up. You're growing up in a pretty hostile environment. Like, the yeah. courts, from all accounts, really weren't, like, a great place. But she no. was super hot, so that helped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it always helps. It always helps. <laughs> so the other person that would have an impact on Joanna as she grew up was a woman named Philippa the Catanian. She was a hired hand to aid Robert's first wife with a birth while on one of the many failed Sicilian campaigns, and Philippa made herself indispensable to Violante and upon returning to Naples was brought along with the royal family. Shortly after returning to Naples, she met another interesting character, a former Ethiopian slave named Raymond of Campagno. Raymond was apparently such a good cook that he got promoted by the king who then arranged a marriage between him and Philippa. The couple then rose insanely fast through the ranks and found themselves crazy rich with slaves of their own. Philippa became an assistant to Sancia, and Raymond became a chief advisor to the king. When Joanna's mother died, Philippa then became sort of a foster mother for Joanna and Maria, and cared for the young girls while also exercising influence in the courts, with Italian writer Giovanni Boccaccio stating, quote, Nothing serious, arduous, or great was accomplished unless it was approved by Robert, Philippa, and Sancia. That's really cool, too, because I read that Philippa not only was a wet nurse, but before that, she was just a laundress. Yep. So, and I also think that she was also pretty hot. (laughs) It it was said that she was like a very good looking woman. But the fact that she got brought up as a wet nurse, like just got a a hired hand just because they needed someone. And then she married a former Ethiopian slave who became chief advisor to the king of Naples yeah. in like two decades. Yeah. It's insanely fast growth for people of their position in life. That is quite the rise of stardom. That yeah. may be like one of the top 
five come-ups we've ever covered on the yeah. show. It's it's insane, man. Well, and I like your comment, too. So you have, like, nothing got past the three people, and two out of the three people are women. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times throughout history, you find that there's these women that are influential behind the men's decisions. So, like, that even happens, and they just found out that um, Winston Churchill had his wife Clementine write, like, all of his speeches, right? So it, it happens all the way back to medieval times. I mean, George Lucas's wife was his editor for a lot of the stuff that he wrote. So right. a lot mm-hmm. of what Star Wars is now is credit to her. Yeah. So. so men, lesson number one, find a good lady who can tell you what to do. Right, Marshall, who's listening to this. <laughs> Marshall is Alex's husband. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For this, I don't also on the show. That was very interesting. Like you mentioned Winston Churchill. Like so was uh, uh, FDR's wife, Eleanor, Eleanor. Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Like very influential and helped him out a ton. Yeah. So. It is very interesting. Shout out ladies. Yeah. Shout out ladies. So, I mean, that's kind so of what we we're doing this whole month. We celebrate <laughs> them not during the <laughs> We celebrate them then as well, but we Love do it. two months. So it was around this time that Robert's nephew, who got skipped over for the throne, came back into the picture. Caribert, who was given the Kingdom of Hungary as a consolation prize, now wanted his rightful kingdom of Naples back. He was a fierce warrior and shrewd ruler, now controlling one of the richest kingdoms in the world because they found a shitload of gold, producing one-third of the total production of gold in the world at this time period. He also married a woman, he being Caribert, also married a woman named Elizabeth, who was a ruthless and ambitious woman, and with this gold and a new alliance with Poland through his marriage to Elizabeth, Caribert had more bargaining power with the Pope to get his hand back into Naples. So the Pope at the time, John the Twenty Second, loved money a bunch, so gold definitely didn't hurt. <laughs> Plus, he wanted to appease both the Neapolitan courts and the Hungarian courts, so John proposed a compromise. Why not have Joanna, who is now the next in line to inherit Naples, marry one of Carobert's sons? Then, when they have a kid, he will inherit Naples and tie the two kingdoms together. Both of the sides listened to the agreement, and begrudgingly agreed to the plan, and it was set in place. Joanna was set to be married to Caribert's second son, Andrew, and Maria was set to be married to Caribert's oldest son, Louis, or Louis, with the stipulation that Maria would marry Andrew if Joanna died before the marriage was consummated. Then, if, when Andrew was old enough, he would become king and the couple's oldest boy or Oldest girl, if no boys survive, would become ruler of Naples. So we see that stipulation with the, we talk about that stipulation in the Eleanor of Aquitaine episode as well. Like these two sides really didn't trust each other too much until there was like one uniting baby, yeah. like baby boy, which is just very interesting that that's always woven into like the contract. Yeah. I also thought it, was, in quotes. I thought it was interesting too that Joanna, who's inheriting Naples, was married to the second son. But right. then I, the more I thought about it, I was like, well, I guess Louis the first son would be inheriting Hungary. Right. So mm-hmm. he kind of has to stay there. But it is interesting how they mix all this shit together to make a plan that actually like <laughs> yeah. sounds good. Yeah. You always need an heir and a spare to marry off. Very true. Yes. That's not, I did not I make wonder, that up. Evan, you, you looked at me like I made that up. I did not make that up. <laughs> but it sounded good. Well, sounded that's, very you good. said it confidently. And is rhymed. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what, okay. Have you, aren't you up on your British royal? That's like the name of Harry's uh, book. He's oh. the spare. Oh, the Harry's spare. the spare. I did watch the first like four episodes of that yeah. Netflix series. 
very interesting. I know fucking yeah. nothing about the royal yeah. family. <laughs> You're too deep into this royal yeah, family. Too, I'm stuck in medieval times. Yeah. Jacob's, yeah, Jacob's not interested in a royal family unless it's 1300. Are the cousins? Are the cousins fucking that I'm interested? Yeah. They might be. To this day, they might be. So. <laughs> Andrew visited Naples in September of 1333, and Andrew and Joanna were married by the end of the month, Andrew being six and Joanna being seven. One of my favorite, like, stats, or interesting thing about this, like, when Robert, who's uh, Joanna's uh, grandfather, had this wedding ceremony, he blasted as much money as he could for the ceremony to show the Hungarians, like, sure, you have gold. But I actually have a lot of money, too. Mm. And hey, Mr. Pope, look how much money I have as well. So it's really just like, we're going to throw as much money as we can at this, at this event to show each other how much power we have. He, very interesting. He loved spending money. <laughs> like, between this, the Sicilian campaigns, like, everything that he did, he had so much debt. He was an accountant's worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how are we going to balance this out? So this smoothed things over between the two groups for now, but Robert had set up the agreement in his favor, because Andrew would indeed be crowned king eventually, but only as a consort to the queen. So this meant that Joanna wielded all the real power, with Andrew being king and title only. So Caribert left shortly after the wedding, leaving his son Andrew in Naples to be with his wife and learn about his new kingdom. He was left with a large Hungarian staff, including a doctor, a furrier, who is someone who manages furs, I had to look that up. Some, what kind some, of results did he get? I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, he was left with more than one sommelier, <laughs> so oh. he was just all ready for the wine, and a large ki- kitchen staff, but he was left with no family and no friends. Mm. So this meant that he was basically have to follow Joanna around if he wanted to do anything, but in general, he was left in a strange place with people he didn't know and couldn't speak to. So for Robert, this was good, because this meant that he could teach Andrew how to be a Neapolitan royal. Mm-hmm. But for Joanna, it was like having an annoying little brother. Well, again, like, yeah, seven and six. Yeah. Right. Made them like a more annoying age for both as a girl and a boy. Well, and a formative age to just be left on your own in a place you don't know. <laughs> so hey, At least he has wine. That's I was about to say, we did not, that kind of, the small yay is kind of... Yeah. Well, I, uh, he had several, yes. not just one, but several. Well, it's like, people don't live for a, like for a long time during this time, so the drinking age is much lower to even right. it out, you know what I mean? I've right. always wondered if <laughs> like that. wine or like anything alcoholic back then was stronger or weaker than it is now. Mm. It's always been the thing that I've wondered. I always think it was weaker because it was just like an everyday thing, because you always, yeah, the like mantra is like... The water's poison, basically, so right. you kind of have to ferment everything. Yeah. Where instead of, like, now we use, like, actual chemicals. Right. Right. But I'm still just picturing the seven-year-old being like, a cab again? <laughs> <laughs> Swirling it. <laughs> right. He's a decanter. <laughs> so despite this arrangement, Joanna grew up normally and learned from her grandmother about responsibility and generosity, but also learned about extravagance and luxury with her purple velvet gowns and satin-covered bed. Robert loved the arts and brought around all types of artists, which Joanna learned from and participated with as she got older. And by the time she was 15, Joanna had grown into a beautiful and radiant young woman, even in the words of contemporaries who weren't as fond of her. So pretty much everyone had to agree that she is looking and feeling good. I just, I I know that it's a different time. I know it is. 
And I know that she's technically a woman at this time, but it's 15. That's and right. like, I'm picturing myself at 15, like wearing Aeropostale <laughs> and with like my Bermuda shorts and like, I don't know, being afraid to even like look at guys. Like, I mean, she's, so I, she's two years past the marriage where she's supposed to have consummated it. So, right. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Everything's way different. Everyone's yeah. very different. Yeah. Right. So, just to think of like, oh, yeah, now she's supposed to be like a woman now. It's just like, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. crazy to me. And for like grown men to probably be like, wow, she bad. <laughs> she's <laughs> All of these like 60 year olds in like papal quarters, like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I did not love the laugh. <laughs> so, while Joanna was having a good time growing up, Andrew had a much different time. He grew into a rude and surly young man, which isn't super surprising considering almost all of the citizens of Naples viewed Hungarians as barbaric. He was isolated and was said to have lagged behind Joanna in maturity and education. He was likely short for his age, and according to a researcher who wrote extensively about this time in Naples, hypothesized that Andrew was, quote, indolent prefers food to anything else, and is likely always so to do. Heavy-jawed, dull of eye, and compared to Neapolitan boys, clumsy of figure, end uh, quote. One of the first short kings, though. Hey! <laughs> his, short king! Short his kings. grandfather was called the Elbow High. No! <laughs> so it's just kind of ran in the family. That's well, so people in this time period aren't, isn't like the average height like 5'4"? Yeah. And, oh, and so there he's like, called the elbow high. So oh, wow. he was like probably like four eight. Oh jeepers! Yeah, and also left all alone with his sommeliers oh. <laughs> and his furries. And he's his furries for fur years. Fur. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> and medieval but furries. Me and Andrew have something in common: is that I also prefer food above all oh, else. Absolutely, that I can agree with him. On. Yes. His time was compounded even more by the fact that Joanna's cousins, the Tarantos, were extremely handsome young men who had been athletes in Greece. And by the time Joanna was 16, her and Andrew still had not consummated their marriage, despite the marital age of relations normally being 13. She's like, don't blame me. This guy just keeps on eating. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she was in any rush to get into a bed with this guy. Yeah, it's hard to... I guess commit to a marriage when the man is dull of eye. Yeah. Yes. And when you have hot cousins rolling around. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they just got back from Greece. Yes. <laughs> yeah, these, these tan Adonises. And yeah. there's just this little kid like licking a lollipop in the corner. Yeah, they come in like eating grapes. Like, yeah. where do you even I'm, get those? I'm imagining <laughs> Andrew as the kid from Willy Wonka who's just got chocolate all over oh, his face. Oh, yeah. poor buddy. I just want to go back and give this guy a hug. Unless he like proceeds to do something <laughs> he's kind gruesome. Of a ter- he's but. kind of a terrible guy. In the okay, end, never but, mind. I, but re- I, can't, take honestly, I retract my hug. Honestly, I don't blame him that much because he got stuck in this place in a fo- right. really formative time in his life. So. Right. Before Robert died, he dictated once again that Joanna was the sole inheritor of the kingdom. However, she was to rule with the help of a council until she turned 25. This was mostly done out of spite, since Maria's marriage to Louis of Hungary had been disregarded, but either way, four days later, Robert died. Not long after his death, Andrew and Joanna consummated their marriage, or as one official record put it, quote, Icky. Andrew appeared at Joanna's door at Castel Nuovo, despoiled her, and knew her carnally, end quote. Mm, despoiled, I don't like that word And also all. having like carnally yeah what is that even don't you mean? love medieval writing despoiled her uh. 
But yeah, yeah, Robert knew that Hungary had disregarded their end of the bargain by marrying off Maria's suitor. Yeah. So he once again reiterated, like, Joanna's the only one that's going to have power. He directly stated it this time. Right. You know, that's interesting that that Maria was the younger one, but married the firstborn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The first that's just be- brother. That's the, the thing I was talking about where, like, Louis was the firstborn of Hungary. He had uh, to stay there to rule. Joanna was the firstborn in Naples, okay. so she had to stay there. That makes sense. So the second ones are the ones that get sent away. The spares. The yes, spares. The spares. Yep. <laughs> As she grew up, Joanna realized that she would one day be queen and needed to learn how to rule her kingdom. However, she was learning through observing an old king, one who was steadily losing influence by the time he died. Robert had lost some of the land he once controlled, and he had no children with which he could send out to help control the reaches of his kingdom. In addition, Robert's damn Sicilian campaigns left the kingdom in a ton of debt, as I mentioned earlier. Crime was growing more prevalent, and the kingdom's main source of profit, which was grain, was too uncertain to rely on. So heavy taxes began to be levied towards the end of his reign, but the three quote-unquote super companies of Florence were beginning to lose faith in their grain trade. So they switched to the wool trade and began making large loans to King Edward III of England, but he wasn't paying any of it back. So this meant that the primary financial resource for the Kingdom of Naples, which Robert had relied on for his expensive lifestyle and fruitless campaigns, was now almost out of money. Yeah. And from my understanding, too, this is the start of the cooling and the rain. Yep. So, like, there, mm-hmm. so right at the end, he there's a lot of rainfall, which we talked about the medieval optimum. What is it? Medieval optimum. Yeah. So, going downhill fast. Yeah. And this all is very ironic because there's three super companies. It's pretty much just three families that run almost everything to do with trade, banking, all of the commerce in Florence. And those three switched to wool trade. And once they switched to wool trade was when the Black Death started to enter the picture. Mm. And you're trading wool that has plague fleas in the wool, (gasps) thus spreading the plague even more, even farther, and even faster. So everything kind of coincides in this time period to make it worse. Yikes. Like, I want to say the stars aligned for this, but it's really like, no, not the stars. No. With Robert dead, Joanna now had to try and navigate this very precarious situation the kingdom found itself in. Robert reigned during the medieval climate optimum with uh, really good weather, great crop yields, but that was over, replaced with the Little Ice Age, as we mentioned, which brought torrential rains and awful crop yields, which led to the Great Famine. Mm. It was said that the rain was so heavy that it looked like there had been a weight that pressed down all of the crops. That's how heavy the rainfall was. Wow. Also, with Robert pissing off the Hungarians before he died, he left Joanna with no way to defend herself if Hungary came to attack. Not to mention, Maria ended up marrying one of their cousins and almost caused a civil war. Mm. But none of this was on the minds of the people of Naples, because all they saw was a 17-year-old girl who was failing immediately upon getting the throne. That's not fair. People. Right, they really really threw her into the wolves there. Yeah, this is the definition of being thrown into the fire, definitely. (laughs) Or a bunch of rain. Right. No money. There you go. Opposite of fire. But like, yeah, no money, no way to defend yourself. Your husband's dull. You're a teenager. You're also a teenager. I was taking AP Foods at 17. (laughs) I I said that right. AP Foods class. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> you and Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love food. Me and my boy Andrew. Are just... Advanced placement foods for Andrew, for sure. Yes. He was planning out his meals ahead of time. <laughs> Speaking of Andrew, he, along with his mother, then bribed the Pope to try and crown him king above Joanna. The power began to shift, and Andrew continued to be a little brat, and the Pope made the decision to send a legate, or a papal representative, to rule in Naples instead of Joanna, mostly because he was sick of everyone's shit and decided someone else should just take over. The ultimate, let's circle back on this in a few months, few years. Well, he was getting constant letters from both the Hungarian queen mother and from Joanna trying to pitch their sides of the story and he was just like i'm done i'm sending you guys someone else who's gonna rule not gonna lie it's kind of weak on the pope getting sensory overload from letters (laughs) (laughs) he was too busy making money right however in the time it took for this legate to get to naples joanna fell ill for a couple months in this absence of power andrew immediately took over and went about making lofty decrees and threats of execution to anyone who challenged his rule He also made a point to free and knight the Papinis, who were three brothers convicted of murder, rape, pillage, arson, treason, kindling civil war, and other capital crimes during Robert the Wise's reign. That's it. I was about to say, like, is that all the big ones? Yeah, I think that's all the big ones. Everyone agreed that this is a terrible idea. (laughs) So everyone in Naples does not like him even more as he does this. But he knighted them and gave them lands. Like, not a good thing to do i always think about being the people that work said lands that just get awarded right. to these random right. people for being terrible like what's their reaction like uh-oh They're, they don't have a choice yeah. <laughs> right. well they probably in all honesty don't even know who like joanna is right they're yeah. like okay. i need to grow this grain and right. just survive another day yeah once the papal representative did show up in naples he proved himself to be immensely underqualified to rule anything While in Naples, he did disband the ruling council and installed other administers in those roles, but when Joanna recovered from her illness, she pleaded with Pope Clement VI to rescind his legate and let her rule again. Immediately realizing his appointed servant was useless, Clement called him back and gave Joanna sole rule of Naples again. But, since her ruling council had been disbanded, she now had complete and unrestricted rule for the first time in her life. Let's go! Clement continued to press Joanna to allow Andrew to be recognized as king, but mostly because he knew that the Hungarians may side with the English in the Hundred Years' War, so he wanted to appease them. And in the end, Andrew was only given special privileges by the Pope, such as being able to eat meat on fasting days. There there was that AP Foods. I was was just about to say, (laughs) me and Andrew, that's like a big score for us. So a lot, a lot happens in this little time period. With this legate coming over, it gives Joanna full reign of Naples unintentionally. But yeah, she's now the sole ruler in her kingdom for, for the first time. That council that got disbanded was probably like, ah, oh, nice, this guy's gone. So Joanna, can we maybe you know, squeeze back, have her right. old jobs back? And- well, it was her grandmother, Sancia, like she was sure. still alive. But she didn't want to do. She wanted nothing to do with anything government. She just wanted to do right. religious stuff. So she was probably just like, "Okay, that's fine." And Philippa was just taking a bunch of money from rich guys. So I mean, she was doing her own thing. So I'm sure everyone was fine with the arrangement. All right, everyone's content. It was around this time that Joanna was found to be pregnant. 
Not only that, but her mother figure, Sanchia, had died. So right after the council gets disbanded, Sanchia goes and finally has free reign to do her religious stuff, but then she passes away. Andrew and Joanna went back and forth threatening and taunting one another for a while, but once September of 1345 rolled around, something shocking occurred. While Joanna and Andrew were on a trip, towards the end of their stay, Andrew decided to go out dancing and drinking with his friends. Joanna stayed in and slept while he was out, which wasn't surprising since they had separate bedrooms. And when Andrew was getting ready for bed, someone came to his door and told him that a courier had arrived with papers for him to sign, which he assumed may be for his coronation as king. Instead, he opened the door and was grabbed by a group of armed men, locked out of his room, a rope was thrown around his neck. He was dragged to a balcony which overlooked the garden and thrown over the railing. In the garden, men were down there, grabbed his feet, and pulled on his feet to kill him faster. And after he was dead, the men dropped his body below in preparation to get rid of the corpse. It was said that the thud of Andrew's body hitting the ground awoke his nurse Isabella, whose screams awoke the rest of the house and scattered the men. Andrew was killed 12 years to the day of his arrival in Naples at the age of only 18. Okay, I don't want to make a fat joke. But that about thud, his death. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's where my head went to. Like, that was a one hell of a thud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so mean it's to say when we talked about his death, but I'm sorry, Andrew. But it's all right. I think we're in the clear with 800 years ago. <laughs> okay. make jokes. I think it's if, fine now. Yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> it's with people making JFK jokes. I think we're in the clear. There's, yeah. People make 9 11 jokes. Like, I yeah. think we're okay. I was about okay. to say, you mean fun. we are the people? <laughs> making fun of this 18 year old, like, person who was trying to take over a kingdom right who That's really had I mean. no business trying to take over no he just no. kind of got yeah. thrown into it that was that one as well thrown into it yeah love it so of course the hungarians were quick to paint the villain as joanna herself with andrew gone she wouldn't need to fight him for the throne also she was conveniently pregnant which made andrew unnecessary as she already had an heir on the way reports at the time said she fled the castle for her life and did not cry about andrew's death leaving his body unattended to for three days. However, there are records that prove that this is false. She did remain at the castle for days after his death and interred his body the day of the event. But the conspiracy against her had already taken root. Even though there was nothing to definitively tie her to the murder, everyone knew that she openly hated Andrew for years. Within 48 hours, though, a man named Tommaso Mambriccio was arrested as one of the assailants. He was a chamberlain for Andrew and a son of a nobleman who lost everything when the super companies lost all their money and his father went bankrupt. There is implication from him that he was paid to participate in the murder, which made it clear that he was not the one organizing this affair, but someone mm -hmm. wealthier than him was. So now the hunt was on. <laughs> yeah, good old corporate wars. Tommaso, after he was captured, was tortured publicly, and his tongue was cut out, so he couldn't name anybody else who was involved, which I'm it not is. really sure why this was the move that they went with when they needed to, him to name conspirators. Idiots. And they just, they really just took away their chief witness. Yeah. yeah. Joanna, on her end, attest attested to her innocence until the day that she died. Plus, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense for her to do this, since the Pope had already told her that she would rule unopposed, which a, paper uh, which a papal letter that arrived in Naples declared two days after Andrew's death. Mm -hmm. 
She also would have been basically inviting the stronger Hungarian army to come and invade Naples. But the conspiracy is, though, that the torturers ripped out his tongue, so then he couldn't implicate Joanna. Right. So, yeah, yeah, rip out his throat. We want to know answers. Wink. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you actually can't tell us that maybe it is Joanna, or at least someone close to her. It, conspiracy but there's a, you could also say the same thing for the other side it's like right. maybe this was someone from the pope who was just like we got to get rid of this andrew kid he's bugging everyone yeah, yeah it seems like nobody liked him yeah so poor andrew well not great guy but poor andrew <laughs> so i mean it it's medieval times anyone could say anything and right. you, it like when we talked about elizabeth bathory it's all about confessions so right. whatever you say is pretty much the law at this point So Joanna was clear for now, but her close associates were being accused around her. And this, coupled with the fact that Andrew's guards knew of plots against his life and did not protect him, were understandable reasons for Joanna to be upset. As 1345 progressed after Andrew's death, Joanna didn't know who to trust. Clement VI had warned her in a letter to be careful who she trusted, also stating that the papacy would head up the investigation into the murder. This led Joanna to become a bit paranoid and led her to bypass her normal consorts in favor of Isabella the Hungarian as her wet nurse when she went into labor. On Christmas Day, Joanna gave birth to a healthy baby boy who she named Charles Martel. Joanna thought this might smooth things over with the Hungarian side of the family since she upheld her end of the deal to have a male heir, but when she sent a letter asking to remarry and get out of the other marriage requirements set for her, the king and queen mother in Hungary threw a fit. They sent letters to Clement VI, chastising him for not catching Andrew's killer, as well as sending him a list of suspects to interrogate, Joanna being the top of the list. And this was the first time they had directly accused her, conveniently after she asked to get out of her dealings with them. But now, the king Louis of Hungary was threatening an invasion of Naples. So things are really starting to heat up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. This... But it's so hypocritical because they didn't keep, the Hungarians did not keep up their end of the deal mm. because they didn't marry Maria. But then now they can, when Joanna just wants nothing to do with them, now they throw a hissy fit. Yep. Like, that's not fair. Medieval politics, baby. Most of it is just like, they want to figure out who killed Andrew. And right. they're just like, it had right. to be her. She hated him. Why would she not kill him and then ask to be remarried right away? And? Listen, Hungry, you, your son is a dick. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody cares. But it is in, it's very telling that Joanna went with Isabella, who was Andrew's nurse, as her wet nurse for the birth mm. right yeah. after this event. Like That shows how paranoid she had become that she wasn't trusting any of her closest associates anymore. Hmm. As for Joanna's prospects for marriage, she was looking at her hot blonde cousin, Louis of Toronto. <laughs> Louis was also a seasoned warrior, something Joanna would need if she needed to defend Naples from an invasion. However, another cousin named Robert of Toronto wanted to marry Joanna to get control of Naples. So Robert and Louis fought a civil war, with Robert coming out on top. He seized control of the chaos in Naples and turned public opinion against Joanna. And along with his cousin Charles, Robert began to go on witch hunts, saying they were trying to find the people who killed Andrew despite seemingly not caring about justice for Andrew for six months beforehand. Joanna realized that she was in quite the precarious situation and hid for a short time, and the papal inquest into Andrew's death had been extremely slow due to lack of manpower, 
so everyone was already suspicious of Joanna possibly hindering the investigation. And this is where all the cousins are going to come into it, and it's really <laughs> fucking confusing. This is where all the cousins come into it. It's not something I was expecting. We should call it the cousin war. Yep. It, it literally is. So the Torontos and the Durazos are going to be like the major cousin factions, and they're both going to come up a lot in this story. Are they both hot? I think mm-hmm. so. I think the, Toron- nice. the Torontos were for sure. Like everyone said they were. I don't know if the Durazos were, but. I do always love like the written words of historians are like, yeah, and they were beautiful and stuff like that. And then you look at medieval paintings and they're yeah, all like, they're ugly. everyone's heads it's, is like an oval and yeah, has like a massive, say, massive, like massive a chin. Yeah. <laughs> they have like no teeth too at this time. Zero teeth, Loon. I'm assuming. Like all their drinking water was toxic or had like mm. abundant sugar and fermentation in it so Ooh. but still hot for the day so no one was hot yeah. <laughs> yeah. an extra effort to protect the queen raymond of compagno that former slave of robert the wise that we mm. mentioned earlier issued a decree that forbade citizens from carrying weapons publicly so he went out with a few men to enforce this raymond was ambushed and taken prisoner by the durazo brothers men so he was subsequently tortured, just like Tommaso Mambriccio, and his tongue was cut out. When asked who his co-conspirators were in the murder, Raymond implicated his wife and his granddaughter, as well as many others. A mob then tried attacking the castle, shouting, Death to the Whore Queen. Oh, God. Eventually, Joanna did hand over the accused to the Durazos, who said that the captives would be taken to their ally personally, and taken with that ally by boat to prison. However, the accused were taken out just off the coast and were tortured on board the ship for all to see. And shortly after, the captives confessed to two separate plots to murder Andrew and were all charged with conspiracy to murder the boy. They were all executed, among them the woman who was a foster mother for Joanna. Mm. According to... I'm going to fuck this name up. According to Domen, Domenis, Domenico, Domenico de Gravina, quote, the chief justice armed his guard, carts were prepared, forges were lit and loaded, the prisoners were paraded through every street in Naples, flagellated repeatedly, their flesh mercilessly seared by the torturers with red-hot irons, they were spit upon and stoned, the mob ran to the pyre and removed the bodies, which, dead or alive, were cut into pieces and thrown back into the fire as so many logs. End quote. It's a little dramatic, don't you think? How can people get this mad? I know. And they're doing it all saying, oh, we're trying to find justice for Andrew. It's like, no. You don't even no. like Andrew. Right, you're mauling someone. <laughs> they're trying you're mauling to, multiple people. They're killing all of Joanna's closest consorts and trying to get rid of all the powerful figures in Naples so they can take over. Well, it just seems like, too, like, it seems like, because it, they walked through the crowd and people were spitting at them. Like, you have no idea why. Right. You- yeah. Like, it said that the inquest when Raymond was being questioned, like, when they would ask him questions, they would have people, like, banging drums and stuff so that pe- the normal people couldn't hear what they were asking him. And then they would just react to, like, what they would say afterwards. Oh. So they had no idea what these guys were even asking as questions well, for the interrogation. Mm. Well, remember, Raymond had his tongue out, so yeah. he was just nodding. Yeah, he, he was they just weren't nodding. even. He wasn't even answering. Right. He couldn't you can't answer. Even do anything. So they would ask a like yes or no question, and I'm sure in pain and being tortured, nodded some way. Right. You know, I don't. 
wild times. You know, people talk about time traveling. I don't think we I'm talk go. about that all the time. I want to <laughs> avoid this time period as much as I, possible. I, I want to meet Joanna, but I don't want to go to this time period right. at I have, all. I have no interest in no. one thousand to probably now. I mean, this yeah. time period when the plague hits is second only to World War II as the most devastating event in human history. Right. So <laughs> I'm good. A lot of life lost. That is funny because we do bring that up. Like, would you right. want to live during now? Not no. really. There's no AC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll live in 2023. That's fine. Right. right. I mean, I'll just go see kind of how crazy it is. Like, Yeah. Can I be in like a bubble just looking at everything? Yeah. I want right. to <laughs> eat what Andrew is eating, but that's it. After that. Do you that, think they had good spices and like seasonings? No. 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 Do you think it's just like, oh. It's salt. Yeah. They threw in some weeds. Now I have less respect for Andrew, considering he was just eating, eating like salted pork there or like a, salted chicken. There is a, a YouTube channel. It's called like Tasting History, I think yeah. it's called. And he did a, a recipe for an old sauce that they made back in the day. And it was just like put a bunch of fish in a barrel with salt mm. and, and a bunch of other stuff and then just let it sit in the sun for like two weeks right. and then extract that. And that was the sauce. <laughs> sit in the sun. So that's what they were eating. Yeah. And- Ooh. I think Italy Italy didn't even have tomatoes until not now. But tomato oh. tomatoes aren't from Italy. Right. They're brought to Italy. So a lot of the things that <laughs> like you think the about Italian get, cuisine was yes, not. <laughs> no. So the it, like the Italy cuisine that you think of today definitely was not going on at that time. It's just assorted barrels of fish yeah. and eels. Lots of oh, eels. Yeah, Lots of eels. eels. Yeah. So around this time, Joanna was also fearful that the Pope was going to take her son to try and appease the Hungarians. Little did she know that he actually tried to to send his men to convict and execute her to stop the Hungarians from invading with the Holy Roman Emperor. Joanna instead betrothed her young son to his cousin and brought the loyalty of the Durazzo family back to her side. A couple weeks later, Joanna married her cousin Louis, or Louis, without papal consent. She quickly became pregnant through her new husband, who was off fighting the Hungarians on the outskirts of Naples with his brothers. So now, everyone in the family who is just persecuting everyone in Naples is now all buddy-buddy, and they're on the same side to fight the Hungarians. In some cases, very buddy-buddy and marriage. <laughs> yes. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Cousins, yeah. Cousins. We should have just like a button, like... Cousins. Cousin sex alert. <laughs> Rose. Incest. Like some sort of alarm, like wee oo wee <laughs> Incest alert. It's- Incest alert. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're far enough apart the Pope knew about it. It's fine. Is it? Is no. It? <laughs> <laughs> However, as they were all fighting together, the Durazos quickly turned coat and supported Hungary along with Louis's brothers. Oh, those bastards. Joanna knew this meant that she could be killed once King Louis of Hungary reached Naples. So she fled her kingdom to go to Avignon, where the papal courts were. Her husband made the decision to leave the battlefield and follow her, but Joanna had to leave her young son behind because she knew that the Hungarians would take care of him as a bargaining chip and that the journey to Avignon would be too rigorous for him to survive. The cousins who betrayed Joanna were invited to a special dinner with the king of Hungary, where he read off his list of grievances against the men and arrested them. Oh, so... (laughs) It was Festivus. It was (laughs) Festivus. The poll was up. Everyone was ready. (laughs) Yep. Charles of Durazzo was executed in the same spot that Andrew had been murdered after the dinner. 
Louis then rode into Naples and took the city, although the citizens put up more of a fight than the armies had. It was said that once he rode in, the Hungarian army came in, all the citizens just started throwing stones at him and killed a bunch of them. Right. Stones are probably have the highest kill count in terms of like right. human weaponry. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, you have to remember, too, it's that there was a lot of propaganda going around that the Hungarians mm. were barbarians. They were dirty. They right. were gross. So just a Hungarian coming in, you're like, give me back my Neapolitan beauties, please. <laughs> yeah. Give me the hot cousins again, yes! please. Yeah. <laughs> Joanna arrived in Marseille and began to write to Pope Clement VI for an audience. She knew that he was not only the single person who could clear her name for the murder of Andrew, but also legitimize her marriage to Louis and thus her coming child. The Pope had no choice but to accept her requests once her husband and one of the former Super Company members arrived at his doorstep. And it also didn't hurt that he was worried about Louis of Hungary taking stuff in Naples that belonged to the Pope. <laughs> So it's all about money again. (laughs) Oh, always is. The Pope sent word to Joanna, who prepared for her arrival to Avignon. It was also around this time that, by the beginning of 1348, the Black Death had finally made its way Mm -hmm. to Italy. And for those of you that don't know, the Black Death began in Sicily after it arrived on a ship from Caffa, and it was already ravaging its way through Europe. And since the populations in Europe had dealt with years of famine from the Little Ice Age, mortality rates across the board were extremely high. Uh, it was said that thousands of villages were wiped off the map, and some major cities are have said to have lost well over half of their populations. And in total, the plague wiped out about a third of the population of Europe, which was 25 million of the 75 million people living there. Yeah. Right, and like more specific to Italy... Right before the plague hit the country, of course, we talked about like the crops were decreased, but also earthquakes were popping yeah. off. Really? Which left like extreme damage in Naples, Rome, Pisa, Bologna, Bologna, I don't know. and Venice. So, like, they are really going through it. The crops right. aren't growing. There's people getting tumors and just doing other Black Death gross things. And plus, there's political turmoil, so it's really kind of the worst time. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. And like with, uh, of course, the plague hitting Italy during these times, and Italy, like we talked about, was all city-states, right? Mm -hmm. Like each city has its own form of government, own rules. Of course, there were those factions, but for the most part, each city is governed in its own separate way. With that, each city handled this pandemic very differently. So, for example, in Florence, the streets were cleared of any refuse and entry was completely forbidden to the sick, meaning you could not go into the streets if you were sick. Hmm. In Milan, all occupants of a believed-to-be or actually-afflicted house were walled up inside and left to die, so meaning your neighbor, who you may have lived, lived by the entire time, just took some boards and pounded you in. Yikes. In Pistoia. Any citizen who visited places where plague was rampant was forbidden to return. And no linen, woolen goods, or corpses could be brought into that city. Some towns were actually hesitant to act, and in one example, Orvieto's town council remained silent about the plague, even when it was raging. In Florence, which was a neighbor, pretended not to notice it, and miraculously 
it passed them by. <laughs> that is amazing. No way. Zero. I don't. I don't believe it. Yep. Yeah. No deaths in Orvieto. Excuse me. No deaths in Orvieto. Just because they were like, we don't believe in this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, Scotland. Anti-vaxxers right now are just fist bumping. Literally, so I was like, hard. Scotland did the same thing, and they went towards the plague, and then ended up getting it. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it didn't work for everybody. Yeah. Um. In terms of what the lay people were trying to do, you know, the common folk, a lot of them, of course, turned to religion, yeah. turned to prayer. There's that famous story where the Pope, who, of course, was not a lay person, but the Pope built huge fires right next to him. Yeah, and that just was sat in the middle of the fires. That was Clement VI. And it accidentally was the best thing to do because yeah. it kept his chamber really dry and warm. Yeah. So there was no fleas in it. <laughs> so no bugs. Exactly. A lot of people, however... Kind of rejected God and turned to drinking just to forget that this was happening. <laughs> Again, <laughs> what we all did during COVID. This is right. when Amsterdam became the party center that it is today. Right, right. Um, the plague, specifically Italy, came in two different waves. One was the pneumonic form, which brought that continuous fever and spinning of blood. It's extremely contagious and killed between a few hours or even just three days. Well, the second wave was actually the bubonic form, which is, of course, we know that as like the bubonic, or we know this as the bubonic plague. This one had the really gross ickies. The big black bumps. Yes, the the blood-filled boo-boos, if you will. And the Italians called it the govaccioli, which, I mean, that's just, for one reason, it sounds delicious. It sounds like a noodle. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Scrumptious. Uh, I won't get into the symptoms of it because it is very gross. I'm sure you all know. Just people died. Yeah. Um, well, I saw stat that there's some villages that you said 50%. There were some that were like 90% oh, yeah. gone. Uh-huh. And then they didn't get reach their levels until the 1700s. Yeah. Naples, it took 150 years after the f- initial onset, onset of the plague to recover to pre-plague population. It's crazy. Yeah. It definitely, for lack of better words, ran a train Yeah, on Italy. In some cases, though, like... The Italian plague came back, or not the Italian plague, the bubonic plague actually came back. So in 1629 to 1631, Milan got it again. Wow. And 25% of the population died. Yikes. Which was roughly 1 million people. Yeah. It it doesn't really go, like, it kept being a problem until, like, the early... 1900s even mm. like it never really went away and every decade after the initial plague in 1348 like it came back every 10 years or so right. and killed a bunch of people so mm-hmm. yeah it's not a good time yeah and one last thing i had is that the bubonic plague is still kind of a thing but it's also mm. very treatable now so we figured yes. it out finally <laughs> take that please <laughs> so avignon was currently in the grips of the plague when joanna arrived Her procession, headed by Joanna herself and followed by 30 armed horsemen, rode into Avignon on March 15, 1348. The city had been ravaged by the plague, eventually losing half its population, and Pope Clement VI had to sanctify the Rhone River to dispose of the bodies because they had nowhere else to put them. So that meant that Joanna's procession entered the city alongside floating corpses. The public, believing the plague to be a punishment from God due to Joanna's murder of her husband, disregarded the plague and came out in droves to see the queen's entrance to the city. Uh, according to reports from the time, quote, 
she was welcomed with all the honor and pomp that a great queen deserved in her own city and was received publicly by his holiness. End quote. Once inside, she knelt on a cushion, kissed the Pope's slippers, and then he kissed her on the mouth. Uh, pope Clement was a pretty horny Pope. <laughs> yes. Maybe. Oh, yeah, this is the bed guy, wasn't it? Oh, no, this is not Eleanor of Aquitaine. I am no. very wrong. Yeah. No, this guy, Hundreds of years this is difference. the fires guy. This is the fires oh. guy. But he, was, he loved, like, a bunch of expensive stuff, and he, like, loved having the court in Avignon because he could have a bunch of women around all the time. Isn't that, like, not a thing the Pope should do? Like, the one thing the Pope shouldn't do. Hmm. They weren't supposed to, but yeah. no one's gonna... They're, like, the power. Right. So... Yeah, who's going to tell on the Pope? Who do you right. tell on? <laughs> hey, God, uh, yeah. I saw that the Pope was betting women. Yeah, your guy here is kind <laughs> of uh, running amok. Yeah. So after they smooched, the trial began. Oh. <laughs> Did Joanna of Naples kill her husband? Joanna, in her royal robes, apparently stunned everyone in attendance with her beauty. And Pope Clement was quite known to be won over by a beautiful woman especially one as well-spoken as Joanna. Standing with her husband and a prominent Neapolitan banker beside her, Joanna defended herself. She knew she needed to not only defend herself against the accusations, as losing would mean that she would be put to death, but also prove that she was a strong ruler who was fit to return to Naples and reassert her claim to the throne. By all accounts, she did incredibly well on both points, being declared not only innocent, but above any suspicion of guilt in the matter of her husband's death. Clement was so impressed by Joanna and Louis that he legitimized their marriage shortly after, and in addition, he sent word to Louis of Hungary to vacate the premises because Joanna was coming back to town. Nice. Must have been some kiss nope. on the lips. <laughs> yeah, he had decided at that moment that like, she was yeah. innocent. Yeah, yeah, this girl's innocent. But if we, like we just said, like, we actually don't want to go back in time at all. I would love to see old time trials yeah. like yeah. this one, where the literal fate of a kingdom depends yeah. on it. It was said it was just like a huge grand hall, just full of people, all eyes on Joanna. And she's like, I want to defend myself. I don't want someone else to do it for me, which mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. like very brave of her to do. But yeah, she knew that she like was the only one that could save herself. So well, did you, I don't know if you saw what she said for her defense was that she when she walked through the city if she was guilty god would have struck her down but uh, since he didn't obviously she was innocent i love that play into like yeah. the pope and the pope is like fact girl she got a point now come back here and kiss these slippies <laughs> she, she's spitting <laughs> yeah before coming back, though, Joanna needed money to pay for a counterattack against the Hungarian forces that were now occupying Naples. So to get this money, she pawned off the city of Avignon to Clement VI for 80,000 florins and used that money to return to Naples. So she won her court case and sold the city of Avignon to the Pope. What? <laughs> How and, does and one a just sell an entire city? Right. Like, they, all those businesses are like, huh? Because <laughs> the, the papal courts occupied that area, but technically it was property of her kingdom. Mm. Sure. So she was like, I know you want this place. If you give me a bunch of money that I'll pay you back later for it, then I can go fight for my kingdom back. <laughs> okay. It's adding all up here. A good smooch on the lips 
and getting a city, yeah, I'm going to claim that she's innocent. <laughs> exactly. You know what? I'd also hand out a loan for this. Yeah. <laughs> Go fuck up all your cousins. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Louis of Hungary had already decided he was leaving Naples, possibly before even seeing this papal bull. He had tortured his way through every level of society in Naples, leading to everyone living there hating him, even the Papini brothers, who were rapists and almost incited a civil war in Naples. Yeah, those guys were like, you know what? We need to have a conversation. This yeah. guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, the plague was now devouring the citizens of Naples, so Louis, Louis pieced out quiet, so quietly that it took a week for people to realize that he even left to go back to Hungary. Coward. He just kind of bounced out. Yeah, he was <laughs> out of there. An entire week. Wow. Before her return, Joanna gave birth to a baby girl named Catherine, and upon her return to the city that had shunned and wished death upon her, Joanna was greeted with celebration and affections. Her forces quickly dispatched the Hungarian army, and she retook her throne as Queen of Naples. This is an insane turnaround. Like, I don't... In, like, a year, mm -hmm. she left because she was under pressure of death from an outside force and the people that lived in her city. She went to petition to the Pope, which is like, you can't just do that unless you have some reason to and some way to persuade him to take audience with you even. And then she wins her case on her own, comes back, and is now, like, celebrated by everybody. That is such an insane turnaround for her life that also makes me think of like all those people that were tortured for the murder of andrew like the people who are on the boat like yep. we talked about um a few people like if the tongue's getting cut off and yep. all that did anything ever happen to people that tortured them no no no, no, no. well I, I yes but not by the, like anyone who's important like, right. it was done right. by the hungarians sure because they were they went to dinner with the king of Hungary. Oh right. And then they got put in jail and the one guy got executed. But it's like the Kingdom of Naples and the Pope did nothing about that. Yeah. So Well they actually needed them because the hung Hungarians were coming. Yeah. So they were like, We need everybody we can get to fight these mm -hmm. quote barbarians. Well now she was married to one of the cousins from the family that was taking part in that. So I mean she was kind of in a weird position at this point. Right. Sounds like there's always a spare cousin as yeah. well. Yeah. Joanna's homecoming was not without its share of sad moments, though, because shortly after arriving home, baby Catherine died. Joanna's husband, Louis, became a tyrant within months of their return to Naples. He wrested all control from Joanna and, for almost a year, would not allow her to speak to any of her companions, or to anyone for that matter, without him being present. What? He was a terrible a little husband. controlling, yeah. He was a bastard. Man, it's like those boyfriends that look good on the outside the, on the Tinder date, and then you actually get them. Yeah. And they suck. Well, he was just like his brothers, where he was just trying to vie for power in right. Naples, and this was his way to do it. She did become pregnant with another child, a girl named Francois, likely sharing a bed with her husband out of fear. Louis then accused his wife of cheating on him and had the, by all accounts, innocent man executed. He even threatened to kill Joanna at some points, according to some reports. But at this point, the Pope came to Joanna's aid and told Louis to knock it off, 
which he was forced to do. Eventually, their relationship was somewhat repaired, or repaired enough, I guess, and the two had an extravagant double coronation ceremony in 1352, with Louis accepting to rule as king in name only, with Joanna holding all of the power. Nice. However, upon returning home on May 27th, the couple found that their daughter Francois had also died of mm. illness. As Nancy Goldstone put it, quote, In the decades succeeding the death of her grandfather, Joanna had weathered murder, treason, civil unrest, the death by excruciating torture of her best friend and surrogate mother, exile, a trial for her life, plague, war, treachery, and finally, the anguishing loss of three of her children, end quote. And by oh what God. age? Like, she's 20-ish at this time? She's 26. 26? Yeah. Oh, our age. Yeah. That's I a have lot. a dog. Yeah. <laughs> she's on her second husband, lost three kids. four kids now. Four? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she's going through it. Yeah. yeah. I step on my dog's like bones from some time. Yeah. Like time to time, like the sharp edges. Imagine also at our age standing before, in our case, the president of the United States right. for your life. Right. In defense of a murder trial. Yeah. I don't think I'd be able to get like a real word, like a real sentence yeah. out. And you're the one that's petitioning him to stand before him, like right. not the other way around. Right. Shortly after their daughter's death, Joanna and Louis' relationship once again broke down. He still did recognize her authority as queen, but now he was physically beating her regularly. Despite this, the Kingdom of Naples was secure under their rule, because they had reestablished the growth of grain the best they could after war, famine, and plague, and Joanna even succeeded where her predecessors had not by finally taking the title of queen in Sicily. <laughs> Nice. Hey, there we go. A win is a win. Yep, a win is a win. After quelling revolts from her cousins, the Durazos, again, Joanna lost her second husband to the plague in 1362, which was probably for the best. Yeah, I'm not mad about it. Do you think there were conspiracies? Like, she planted the mice and fleas. I say I would. Uh, okay, rank which husband you hate the worst so far. Andrew? Oh, Louis, Louis is worse, for sure. I'm going to go with Louis, because he was like, I'm going to practice boxing. Andrew was just mm-hmm. kind of an immature, like, jerk. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm celebrating, not that I'm celebrating anyone's death by any means, but... This one was kind of coming for it. <laughs> Love it. So while this did pose some problems, such as potential threats from people seeking the throne while she is alone, Joanna thrived as the sole ruler of Naples in this time. The Neapolitan archbishop wrote, quote, The queen delights in governing. She wants to do everything because she has waited so long for this moment. End quote. She don't need no man. Mm-hmm. She was loving it now. Preach. She pursued new policies and legislations, promoting much the same type of rule that her grandfather had while he was alive. Joanna also gave more opportunity to women who played a larger role in the medical field in Naples than anywhere else in the area. She also attempted to find a new secretary for the kingdom, as Robert the Wise had the famed Petrarch. But while all of this happened, she also knew that she needed another husband who would help protect the kingdom in case of an invasion. Because I, I forget, and I said lost count. Does she have living children at this time? No. They're all dead. Nope. She okay. still has no heir. Mm-hmm. She is struggling with that. And 
at this period in time, she's like, I'm not marrying anyone who is like even closely blood related to me at this point right. because right. I feel like that's the reason why all my kids are dying. Right. I mean, every single problem that she's had, it's like, oh, and that's a cousin. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the one child that she did have that probably would have survived was Charles Martel, the right. first kid that she had. But he was taken to Hungary with Louis or Louis mm. of Hungary when he left Naples and Charles Martel died on the way there. And that's what she was worried about was like, he's not right. going to survive if I take him with me to Avignon. So right. he was the only one that probably would have been okay because the other two just died of illness. But yeah, yeah, she is struggling on that end. Mm -hmm. The King of France propositioned his son, but Joanna didn't want Naples to be absorbed by the French kingdom. So she found herself a husband in James IV of Majorca, a technical king, even though his kingdom was being ruled by someone else, who had just broken out of prison in his own country. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's very weird. You might need to read that one back. He broke out of prison from his own country, mm -hmm. a king. As a technical king, yeah. while he's not ruling. Yeah. <laughs> because he ruled in Majorca, which had been taken over by the king of Aragon. And so he was basically, he still was a king in name. Like, mm -hmm. that was his kingdom, but someone else had taken it over. Mm -hmm. So he got put in prison for 14 years. And then broke out, and then she married him. I guess you got to do what you got to do right. in some cases. I mean, for Joanna's part, he was 26, which was a good age to marry and produce heirs, as well as defend Naples against outside forces. So this person was put in jail when he was 12? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. At the ripe age of being, like, becoming a man. Right. You Almost know what I mean? ready to consummate the marriage. Right. right. However, as luck would have it, spending 14 years in prison had taken its toll on James both mentally and physically. Once married to Joanna, he immediately demanded power from her and threatened to overthrow her. Not only that, but he would frequently go into violent rages, one of which was in public and thus didn't allow Joanna to keep this behavior a secret anymore. It got so bad that Joanna had to have family members sleep in her room with her and James to keep her safe. She somehow got pregnant from James, but the pregnancy tragically ended in a miscarriage. Despite this, Naples did see its most peaceful and prosperous time in decades under Joanna's rule around this time period. She reestablished the economy by adding new trades in addition to grain, and eventually her abusive husband just kind of fucked off to his home country where he died of illness. A win is a win, oh. I gotta say. <laughs> yeah. He, like... There was one account that said he like had dementia. So like yeah. he was like literally losing his mind as mm -hmm. he was married to her. So I don't know how much of it I could really blame on him. Right. Because I think he needed to just be in a psych ward. Yeah, not right. in a place of power. Yeah, you didn't have that at the time. So I mean you do really have to shout out Joanna considering with Louis, who was a bastard. You mentioned that like the kingdom itself still prospered and they were able yeah. to get their right. economy back and that was always whatnot. her number one thing was making right, sure right. that she was ruling her kingdom well i mean she wanted an heir and that was like the main reason why she needed marriage an right. heir and protection right right like that's what i'm saying it's like a pretty amazing that with like a personal life that these two crazy men one by illness and one by it sounds like just rage she was still able to do like all these incredible things yeah. right well, and it's, I get why she went for James, because in theory, he's also a king. So mm -hmm. like he won't try to vie for power and 
maybe if they're the same level, it'll work out. But obviously, because her previous marriage what to her cousin, he wanted more power that he never had. Right. Yeah. So it well, makes and, sense. But And he was like, like, James was a king in name, but he didn't have nearly the power right. that Joanna had either. So she knew, like, I can still control him theoretically. But yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> In addition to Naples being stable again, Joanna was able to help finance the papacy's return to Italy under that of Pope Urban V. But it only stayed in Rome for like three years, but still, it was a good indicator of how much influence Naples held again. She like personally financed a trip for the entire papal court to move back from Avignon to Rome. So, it's kind of a big wow. deal. Yeah. Right. But I think this is where, you know, I talked about it at the beginning. It's like, I think it's really smart to, at any time, finance or make sure that the papal court is your buddy. Yep. Because obviously it worked in her favor during her trial. Yeah. Clement VI was like the best thing that could have happened to her, right. honestly. Mm-hmm. He was her confidant and friend for like the rest of his life and really helped her out when she needed it because he knew like she's helping me out by paying me money and stuff too. So. Yeah, they, they really had a good relationship. And then after he died, the Pope after him kind of sucked. And now Urban V is on friendly terms with them again. So she's kind of taking advantage of that. And she's like, why don't you come back to Italy? Yeah. <laughs> with the kingdom now calm, Joanna was able to do what she had been longing to do, which was rule and govern. And according to Goldstone, quote, the queen was involved, often in the most meticulous fashion, in every aspect of the administration of her realm, end quote. During this time, she also found time to secure a fourth husband, a minor German noble named Otto of Brunswick. Yeah, pronunciate that. <laughs> Otto. 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 <laughs> Brunswick. Same, same forward and backwards. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> he was a decade older than her, 58 to her now 48, but by all accounts, he was happy to serve his queen and fight for her interests. This was good because she was going to need it. Louis of Hungary, now Louis the Great, was coming back into the mix. Pope Urban V had died, and Gregory XI took his place. He decided to try the whole moving to Rome thing again, but Florence, in the interim, was like, nah, you're not moving again. (laughs) So they tried to stop it, but Joanna helped Gregory defeat the rebellion and safely moved Gregory and the papal courts back to Rome for a second time. His initial arrival was welcomed by mostly good vibes, but when he died two years after arriving, shit hit the fan. Gregory had denounced Louis the Great's claim to the throne in Naples, but he wasn't satisfied and was preparing his next move, and the Pope's death would provide him with a great opportunity. You see, when Gregory died, the cardinals had to hurry to appoint the next pope. The Roman citizens, on the other hand, now wanted a Roman pope, since the court was back in Rome again, but the mostly French cardinals wanted another French pope to protect their interests, mostly meaning their money. The Romans grew restless, eventually storming the papal palace. And in what is basically a medieval copy of the January 6th Capitol shitshow, (laughs) the citizens entered the palace to demand a Roman pope. The cardinals, hiding inside disguised one of their Italian cardinals as the Pope to distract the crowd while they fled. The mob then entered the throne room, saw this disguised man, and kind of just said, okay, 
and then paid homage to the fake leader. And to compromise with the crowd, the Cardinals eventually elected a Neapolitan pope named Urban VI, who they thought would, they would have an easy time controlling. But he turned out, as with all of these people somehow, to be a power-hungry madman who fought constantly with almost everybody. I'm still just picturing this angry mob coming into the throne room, seeing a guy, <laughs> yeah, just being like, all right, this works for us. It's literally, it is literally like frame for frame the January 6th riots. Like, they stormed the place they wanted to storm. Mm. Then once they got in, they were like, oh. What did we do? Yeah. (laughs) So instead of taking selfies, they just saw this guy and then were just like, nice. (laughs) (laughs) See ya. Guess our job here is done. (laughs) (laughs) You Roman? Yes. All right, we're good. He wasn't even, the thing is, like, this guy wasn't even, he was just Italian. Oh, he was just, they saw saw an Italian and they're just like, yeah. They were like, all right. Joanna sent her husband and royal advisors to celebrate the coronation of the new pope, who she originally approved of, since, you know, he was Neapolitan. But the pope embarrassed her husband and advisors, and eventually the cardinals got sick of it too. And the final straw was that Urban VI tried to limit the Cardinals' meals to one course. <laughs> oh. Don't mess with the food. Do not mess with the food. Andrew's ghost had to have been at this meeting. <laughs> like, he was getting his revenge he here. Deserves. Yeah. <laughs> Finding a loophole in their elect- electing of Urban VI, the Cardinals denounced Urban as Pope and elected a French Pope named Clement VII. As is to be expected, Urban was pissed, immediately employed a new array of Italian cardinals, and said he wasn't going down without a fight. Joanna, then who initially had supported Urban, switched her position and backed Clement VII, which turned Urban against her. In his rage, he excommunicated a bunch of people, including Joanna, and stated that her rule as queen was null and void, which he didn't really have any power to do because he technically was not the ordained pope anymore. But some of his Roman supporters took this claim seriously. Meanwhile, Charles of Durazzo, these fucking Durazzos, Durazzos. Man, they're always coming into the picture the somehow. Durazzos, Torontos. Who was a charge of Louis the Great because he took him with him when he left Naples the second time, was marching his way to Italy to take advantage of the chaos. And it's ironic because Charles of Durazzo had at one time been taken care of by Joanna in her courts as a child. So very full circle. Mm -hmm. So Clement said that he would arrange support for Joanna against these Hungarian forces, but it took too long to come. And Urban VI still had a lot of supporters in Rome. And along with Charles of Durazzo, this proved to be enough for Joanna to revoke her support of Clement VII in favor of Urban VI to try and save her ass, but it was too late. The public opinion was already against her, and when Charles sieged her castle, she had no choice but to give herself up. Joanna was then taken prisoner and carted around the area to prevent her rescue by Clement's forces, and her situation was very bad. The wardens at these prisons were said to have treated Joanna terribly and prevented any of her companions coming with her, and her husband had been defeated by Charles, and speaking of Charles, he had no use for the queen anymore. So on July 27th, 1382, Joanna was murdered in her prison cell. The two best reports on what happened say that she was either strangled with a silken cord while kneeling in prayer, 
the one report that is probably the more likely one is that she was had her hands and feet tied and then stuffed in between both of her mattresses and then I guess they just sat on her until she suffocated. Oh yeah. god. But yeah. It's not good. Well, it's just like for a woman who turned around the entire economy of the area and then ruled and I'm sorry she's a she's a queen mm-hmm. just for that type of death especially coming from the papal court mm-hmm. is extreme disrespect obviously and pretty harsh yeah and the fact like there's two popes right now like right. the the actual ordained pope is trying to help her while this like rogue pope is somehow way more powerful right. than mm-hmm. she, than the actual pope and yeah just had the the influence and wherewithal and the hungarian army at his back so like, he really didn't have anything to lose at this right. point in her book Nancy Goldstone put it well, quote, Whatever the specific circumstances, what can be said with certainty is that, after months of hardship, Joanna died violently and alone, bereft of friends or family, deprived even of the final sacraments from which this most religious of queens would have found solace, end quote. Her body was sent back to Naples, but had been so deformed by her captivity and murder that people didn't even recognize her. Since she was excommunicated before her death, she was unable to be buried on consecrated ground, deprived of a spot next to her family members before her. Instead, she was thrown down a well with no ceremony or dignity. Oh my God. Yeah. Within a church. Like yeah. it's a, it was a church well. Yeah, it was. Just thrown down. It was a church that belonged to the Franciscan order that her grandmother was part of. Mm. They said, yeah, we'll take her body. And they threw it in a well. Just toss it in the well, <sighs> man. So today, we recognize Joanna I, Queen of Naples, for the insane life she lived and the odds she defied. She survived famine, plague, and war. She fed the poor, built churches, and guided her subjects to recovery from the many misfortunes that befell them. She secured her reign against countless opponents and ruled for over three decades as one of the last great royalty in the Angevin line. That is the life of Joanna I, Queen of Naples. Love it. Justin. A really interesting life. And like all this was, again, the Black Plague was just around yeah, casually like, in the background. Like taking... I said at the beginning, I don't know how she survived as long as she did. Yeah. Right. But man, did she make the most out of that life. Right. right. Really tossed around by madmen, you could say. Mm. All of them turned into, except for her grandfather. Well, her grandfather was also kind of whirly-durly with his money. Yeah. But, but he was like the only shining light right. example of man in her life until Clement VI. Right. So, I mean, her, she did have an advisor who was one of like the super company branches that was really helpful to her and like really nice. Right. But like other than that, like she never had a husband really until Otto. Right. But she only was with him for a few years. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it kind of kind of sucks that she didn't have someone there to just support her right. for once. A real, like a real companion. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it seems, from my understanding of all of the medieval times, your husband really wasn't like it is now, where it's oh no, a yeah. friend. Right. <laughs> it's a very patriarchal society. Right. The, so the mm. the fact that she was able to get papal decrees to say like she's the sole ruler right. for so mm-hmm. long is really cool. That's- but I mean, she was the blood relation to heir to the throne. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. she deserved it. But yeah, insane life. Well, and then 
so a completely different family ruled after her, right? Because she's not like she had any heirs. She was excommunicated anyway, right? Yeah. So uh, Charles of Durazzo, like her cousins, like God her, damn the Durazzo. her nephew or whoever the fuck he is at this point. He took over in Naples, and then the guy that was supposed to come and help her, who was the younger brother of the King of France, he tr- tried to fight to like run them out of there, yeah. and I think eventually he did, and then France kind of just absorbed it. Nice. So okay. the Kingdom of Naples didn't really exist anymore after mm-hmm. her. So. That's so sad. Yeah. yeah. Me and all my homies, we hate the Durazos. Yeah. <laughs> the Durazos fucking Dude. suck. So do the Torontos, though. All of her one, cousins are terrible. There's yes. one person named Durazzo being like, what the hell? Like, right. was, like listening to this yes. right now, like, wow, oh my God. The Villain tr- of the week. Torontos had that beach bod, but man, were they terrible people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. thank you for joining us, Alex. Yes, I hope you enjoyed fun. this. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you have anything that you want to plug before I list off oh, our social golly. medias? <laughs> Honestly, find me on LinkedIn. I was just Very. Say, we going through the LinkedIn. I know. Uh, my, yes, Alexandria Matthews. I said, okay, oh my gosh, my husband, Marshall's going to kill me that I said Matthews. But when I describe it, Mattis, people don't know how to spell it. So it's Matthews, yep. M A T T H I E S. There you go. Find me on LinkedIn. Add me, connect me. Follow your dog too. Oh, yes. Gunter has a Gunter Good Boy on Instagram. He is, in fact, a good boy. If anyone's wondering, can um, attest eyewitness. That's it. And you can find the Gems of History podcast and all the major social media. So on Twitter at Gems underscore history, on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Gems of History podcast. Heck yeah, you can. Oh, I, this was a, a roller coaster for me yeah. trying to research this. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too confusing. Was this confusing or was it pretty easy to no, follow? No, I mean, honest. So, how I like to describe it is Joanna had many lives, but all of them were around her husband. So, husband one, husband two, mm-hmm. husband three, all stunk. And then and the then German came the in. Germans. Just the Germans. Yeah. See? The last one. So, I mean, yeah, she has a lot of just people around her that you have to describe yeah. for her, for you to really understand why she's going through all this baloney. Mm-hmm. But no, I think it's great. Awesome. Well, I hope you guys at home all enjoyed this episode. We will be back next week to round off our month of women Woo. in history. Ladies. I love but, it. But until then, everyone out there, stay polished. Have a great week. And we will talk to you later.